Hello and welcome to Tell Us Your Effin' Story, a podcast by franchisors for franchisors that goes behind the scenes of some of the most interesting characters in the franchising sector. I'm your host, Bruce McFarlane, with my co-host, John Sully, and today we're joined by Keith Doyle, CEO of BDC Property Partners. Righto, Keith. Tell us your fucking story. John. Yes. It's franchising story, not... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, thanks for the welcome by the way Um, anything to do with Mr Sully there's always a different tangent things go on so this could be an an interesting hour Um, to tell you my story well maybe do you want to give me a couple of questions for us or um, no go right back okay Um, how far do we go back I'm I'm probably I'm from uh, Dublin in Ireland Um, the area I'm from actually is probably most famous for one um, Irishman, uh, Conor McGregor. Um, I was born and raised in a place, place called Crumlin, um, which is a very working class part of Dublin, uh, Dublin 12. Um, we do actually have a lot more famous people from that area, funny, but for whatever reason, uh, the media have stuck on Conor McGregor. But, um, uh, you know, Paul McGrath, very famous, famous footballer from Manchester United in Ireland, grew up in Crumlin. Uh, a very famous uh, band called Tin Lizzy, a singer called Phil Lynott. He was from Crumlin. So, yeah, so that's where I was born and raised. Um, and uh, I lived there t- until I was about 15, and I ended up um, moving to a very uh, well-to-do suburban Dublin where my parents um, lived and were actually next-door neighbours and ended up marrying at uh, a very young age. So tell, we'll go back to school. So <coughs> school, how'd, yes. you, how'd you go at school and... School, school was in Crumlin CBS. So Crumlin CBS was a Christian brother school, obviously, and uh, it was a it was a tough environment, um, to say the least. Um, but you know, I think you um, looking back, I think the environment is something you look at differently versus growing up in the area. So I probably didn't realise how rough it was and how tough it was. Um, but look, it was a great. I mean, I, had a, I felt I had a great upbringing, um, and the school was good. I wasn't somebody that was necessarily a um, a road scholar. Um, I think that's fair to say. Uh, I was very interested in sport and um, and, and saw myself as a uh, you know uh, a soccer player, um, and that's what I wanted to do. That was my passion. Probably like ninety five percent of kids, right, right across the world. Um, and I just simply wasn't good enough. So that 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 realization came about probably. Probably about 16, I think, you know. But um, So school was good, but it was interesting because at 15, when I finished um, my intercert, which is, let's say, your halfway mark, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I said to my parents, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm checking out for a year. Now, you know, you hear a lot of that now, and kids check out, but they check out after year 12 in Australia. So that was really unheard of. And to be honest, um, you know, uh, we, there was some debate around that, but but I did. So my dad said to me, you've got to go and get yourself a job if that's what you're going to do. And I said, well, okay. So my first so job... How, how old is this, man? So I was 15. Like 15. 15, right, okay, 15 right. yeah. So, so my first real job, let's say, where I had an expectation and I needed to be on time and I, uh, was in a pub in Milltown, funny. So, um, uh, and uh, I worked there for a period of time and then soon realised that that wasn't a great decision. So I went back to school, uh, to a different school. I went to a school called uh, Colosh de Quivine, which was an Irish school, still in Crumlin. Um, uh, and I went kind of back as a mature student nearly, you know, because I took a year out. So that was interesting. A lot of pals I played soccer with were in that environment, so I, I was comfortable. And then I, I, um, 
I set my leaving cert there um, and changed my whole philosophy around school and education and stuff. You know, not in a big way, but 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 I got stuck into the books, um, and uh, did okay, did did quite well. My favourite subject was biz org and history, uh, and I got a couple of A's in, in both of those subjects, um, and then kind of just got by with with the rest of them. English uh, I liked as well, so um, so that was school. Yeah, so it was kind of two stages. It was it was you know Crumlin CBS in the primary and the secondary, uh, and then the break, a small break, and then onto Clochequivin to finish out. And then I started a, um, a marketing degree uh, in Crumlin College, actually, um, which I, I didn't enjoy. Um, so um, I went back on then to do a little bit of forger education. Um, when I got older, I went to Dublin Business School. What, so. did, what did your dad do? What did your mum and dad do? Mum and dad are very working class. My dad, uh, my dad's early days, he worked in a place called Ring's End um, in, a, in a, a meat products uh, factory. Um, he drove a truck for those guys. So very vivid memories of like you know school holidays being brought to work with my dad in the back of the Volkswagen van, going to all the. We used to go to the slaughterhouses, mm. so all the slaughterhouses collect all the meat back to the processing plant in Ring's End, and. Um, and that was his early stages. My mom was a stay-at-home mother, and we I've got um, two brothers and a sister. Um, and then, um, yeah, later on in life, she she worked a little bit in the. Um, she was a, I think you have it here in Australia, but tubware. So she was like a tubware oh, yeah. rep, you know, yep. and did really well actually because my mom, everyone tells me I get my sales ability from my mom. So she was quite good at that. And then my dad kind of ended up. Um, he ended up getting into the taxi business and we, we actually went into business together then later on when I kicked on and we had some taxis together. So yeah, before he cool. retired. He retired actually early, my dad. He took he had some heart problems and uh, he retired quite early. He was mid fifties when he retired. So yeah. But did you get your work ethic from them, do you think? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I mean possibly. Um, you know, uh oh, I think yeah. Uh, look the, uh, my, my drive and determination came from probably my my upbringing initially in terms of you know um, what I wanted and what I didn't have you know and was probably one of the kids that and this will sound probably I don't want to reflect this bad on my parents but I was probably one of the kids that didn't always have the new bike or didn't always have the um, but they provided for us you know immensely well um, but um, yeah that that innate drive. Um, yeah, not really sure where that came from. I think just it was a bit of a hunger to succeed, I think. Yeah, right. What about okay. the soccer dream? When did the soccer dream finish? Oh, look, it yeah, look, it never really finished, yet. does it? We, we all see ourselves, you know, my son keeps telling me now we have great debates about, um, he keeps talking about all these different positional plays now, and I say, mate, it's all bullshit, you know. It's not It's not, It's not. not how, how it was played in those days. Um, oh, look, you know, I, I kept playing, actually. I played amateur, and I used to get a few quid playing while I was kind of in college and stuff, so I kept playing. It just wasn't, you know. My brother went to the UK at 15 as a, a very talented uh, prospect, and, and unfortunately, he didn't even make it, you know. Um, it's a very small percentage that do. Um, and then he came out to Australia, actually, after his career. Um, and had a good career here, actually, in, in the old MSL. So, uh, yeah, so I kept playing um, right up to... I, I actually kept playing until right up to where I realised that the business was going so well. If I get injured on a Sunday, I'm screwed. Because I, I used to jump on a plane on a Monday morning and spend two to three days in the UK a week from my business. I'm probably getting slightly off track here. But, but yeah, the soccer dream kind of... Uh, came to a halt when I started having to get ahead of my competitors and fly out on the last flight from Heathrow on a Dublin on a Sunday afternoon. So my game then it was like, okay, I need to hang up the boots. So I made that decision, and I was I was crap anyway. The lads tell me so. <laughs> so 
So before we get to the the business stuff that you're involved in, like what other job you worked at a pub, you realised that 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 wasn't for you. What other what other things did you do on the way through? Mate, mate I tell you, I, I didn't have too many jobs throughout my life. My fo- my very first job was on a milk float um, for the milkman that delivered our milk. Um, I worked in, in the pub for a while, and then I had some part time uh, work in retail and fashion. That's how I started my business. That's kind of where it all stemmed from. So that was just for a couple of different retailers, two different retailers in the city. Um, just small businesses, you know. Um, I tell you, Bruce, it was funny, mate. Like when I came to Australia, Mora was my kind of first job, my first real job. Because right. I was self-employed. I mean, I, I started my business in 92, you know, at like 21, 22. So, um, yeah, I didn't have many jobs. Didn't have many jobs. And were you like a, a rat bag as a kid, or because you, you you're a rat bag as an adult? So. Probably, <laughs> probably the wrong person to ask. Um, I, no, I, I mean I don't I don't think so. I mean I don't I don't think right. so. I was I was um, uh, I think well I was re- relatively well behaved as, as you know, as uh, we all like to think of ourselves. Maybe not a halo exactly, but um, <laughs> we might come back to that. I think I have a story. <laughs> so starting a business, you know, do you, you know, you when you're young and. You know, you, <clears throat> I, don't, I didn't have a lot of funds behind you, so it's not like you uh, had a big check to go and start spending the money. So how did you get the money together to get the business mm. and, and the idea of the business? Yeah, uh, yeah. look, that was a really interesting time. I think um, I had no experience. I had no family business experience. I had um, no mentor. I, I had nothing really, um, to be honest. Um, I, I, saw, I saw an opening. I saw a gap. Basically, when I was working part-time in the industry, there was a particular retailer um, that was struggling. And basically, um, at that, that time, there wasn't many retailers struggling in what we did because it was things were really starting to turn in Ireland. Uh, this was kind of just before the Celtic Tiger. And, and business was quite good. And he, he had a pretty good location where he was. And he was an older guy, and he just got it wrong. So that was where I saw the opening. The reality was, in terms of the financing and funding, it, it, was, a, it was a very unfortunate situation in the family um, that led to be me being able to access finance, which was, I had an aunt of mine, my mom's sister, um, which uh, she had an accident late in life. She, she was blind. So she, she guaranteed me my first loan, basically, with DIB and Klunsky. Uh, I think at the time, the rate was something like 17%. So I borrowed about she I borrowed about twenty thousand pounds at the time. So it was before we went to Euros. So this is the ninth, early nineties. Yeah, yeah, ninety one. Um, which was a lot of money, you know. Um, plus, like, I mean, I don't know when, when it all really started, but like, let's say a business plan. My business plan, I could, well, I fucking wrote it on the back of a stamp. <laughs> it, you know, it, it was. I had a vision. I had it all in my head. And I knew what I needed to do, but I wasn't able. I wasn't able to articulate that particularly well in the bank, really. But but I think the bottom line was she was guaranteeing the loan, so the bank just signed off. So right? it didn't matter. Yeah. So it didn't really matter. So 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 really unfortunate circumstances to get me started. Um, and then from there it was a partnership. So I basically went to this guy. I knocked on his door and I said, "Okay, you know, you're not going to have a business in 12 months. I think we both know that, but I can help you. But here's what I want." And mate, we probably took us probably two meetings. I went to see him then at his house the second time. Um, I didn't have an accountant, so I looked in my family's, my, my wife's, uh, it wasn't my wife at the time. And they were kind of quite, um, you know, uh, my mom's, uh, or my wife's mom was uh, come from family business uh, and stuff like that. So anyway, we used them. Um, I used that accountant, which I ended up finishing off with. And um, two of us went to the guy's house and we kind of cut a deal. 
So, yeah, so that's how I started. And I had, uh, he was gone within a year, you know, uh, which was kind of like a little bit messy at the end um, and how it finished. But, um, yeah, it just it wasn't going to work, basically. So what was it at that point? How many st- just... Yeah, just a store. No, it's just a store, yeah. One just one store, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I never really, you know, I, I grew my business to a point where, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have 50 stores, but, like, at that stage, it was one store, and it was, um, you know, he, he wasn't profitable. He was profitable previous to that, and funny enough, he actually had a partner, um, a very successful guy that um, went on and did what he did. They split up, actually opened the store right across the road, had a store called Hairy Legs, and a lot of kids will remember that, and then... Um, but 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 he just just the other guy just didn't know what he was doing, right? So um, and things really started to change then because um, the rave scene happened in, in Dublin at the time and music was, you know, so closely connected as it is now to teenagers. So but I I soon realised when I opened that business that I didn't want to be in menswear, so I changed it to um, to ladies wear. But I had a rip roaring ride for a couple of years. I rebranded it. The store was called Sonic. I had DJs. It was a couple. It was three stores, or three flights to the uh, store, different levels. You know, we did footwear. I was doing all the Air Max now, Nike that they do. I was, you know, selling all the baseball caps from the states, doing all the American gear, which I was buying on the grey market. Um, I had DJs come in. It was, it, we were the place to go to. So, um, it was great. <clears throat> but, but I kept a very close eye <clears throat> on the industry, and basically where I felt myself sitting was in that kind of teenage uh, ladies, and that's where I eventually went, which I opened Miss Money Penny, from the same building. Um, oh right, so did you close the? the I I, other I, cl- I closed Sonic. It was called Sonic. I closed it down. I've got some great photographs. My wife, luckily now, after all these years, but we've got photographs of the building. I got into a lot of trouble with the council, and um, we we graffitied the front of the building. Now this building would be like on Bourke Street. Um, so if you can imagine a DJ sticking out a speaker on a wi- in the window on Brook Street on a Saturday with no license yeah. and having a graffiti uh, fascia on the building, there were interesting times, you know. So, um, yeah, so, but, but I, I got a good run with that. But I, what I did was I, I stayed within that, that, that category, just but it was purely all ladies because that's where they were spending the money. So. So, what, so what were you doing? How did you turn that around from a business that was struggling? to something that was heaving like that? Like, what were you doing in the business? He, he, well, were he, you on the floor? Oh, initially, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. on the floor for a long time, yeah. I mean, I always got my... Um, that's where you That's where you need to be as a business owner. I don't care what size your business is or what scale, but if you're not talking directly to your customers, you're dead. Mm. And I mean, it doesn't matter what scale. Yeah. Um, and you need to do that directly. So, no, I was, I was heavily involved in that. Um, John, that was simple, mate. Honestly, he, he was... He was in a more formal menswear business, which was dying on its arse. You know, the money was within the kids, the teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, basically, I, I, I stripped it out. Um, as I said, we went... I, there was a young kid growing up in a place called Drogheda, um, and he was, a, he was an up-and-coming graffiti artist. I reached out, got him up, painted a building, came up with a name. Sonic was like... As I said, the rave was huge in the UK at the time, so it was kind of like, OK, I want to tap that market. So I knew my market. I knew exactly what the market mm-hmm. was. Um, and as I said, yeah, we, we, we killed it. We absolutely killed it. And it really helped me kind of progress. The Miss Money Penny thing then was just um, just to the next level, you know. Uh, and that was a r- real strong trading name that resonated with everybody. And I, I really, I'm sorry in hindsight that I didn't keep that whole brand piece going. Mm. Could have done a lot with it, you know. But that, that sort of business, I don't know fashion at all very well, but so much of it is, I would imagine, is about buying the right product because if you buy shit, you're not going to sell it. So how did you 
How did you get around that? Did you have a buyer? When okay. You got... No, fuck no, no, no. So okay, so basically, um, ninety-five uh, percent of the product came from the UK and Turkey. Okay, um, and then there was Irish suppliers. So when I started off initially, um, my biggest problem was it was probably one of the reasons I probably went from the menswear piece to the to, to Miss Money Penny was that there was there was a big chain in Dublin at the time called Unique Menswear, which is still trading now. And he blocked me at every turn with every major wholesaler across the UK, Manchester, Birmingham, London. So I found that a bit of a problem. Uh, so what I was doing was my margins were suffering because I was buying the product on the grey market. Um, so I was still going to Birmingham, I was still going to Manchester, I was still going to London, but I was buying it pretty much from uh, dealers and um, retailers. So my margin wasn't great. So I, I, I was clever enough to understand that you know my margin needed to be at a, a level at least at my competitors. Um, or if not better, to grow. Um, so, so that was an issue for me. So um, eventually what happened with Liam was, Liam was a very successful businessman at that stage. He had pubs, restaurants, all sorts of stuff. He used to, you know, he drove a Bentley at the time. I don't think I ever saw a Bentley in my life and he drove a Bentley. So I just fucking rang him and I said, mate, we need to have a chat, you know. Um, he's like, who are you? I said, well, I'm your neighbour across the road from one of your busiest stores. I said, and you keep blocking me in um, Rajan Clothing, which is one of the big Manchester mobs. And he, he was intrigued, so he, he said, let's go and have a coffee. And he owned the pub down the end of the road on Liffey Street. So um, he made me pay for my tea as well, I think. <laughs> so, um, so we went and had a chat, and I think he was just, um, he was impressed. You know, I was like green, I was, I was mm. but you know, like, um, I, I wouldn't say immature, but I was, I was naive a little bit, you know. And I, and I, but basically how I sold it to him was like, mate, you've got so much money. My one shop ain't going to affect you, so can you just call the dogs off? And, you know, the interesting thing was with that with Liam, and I'll never forget it, he, um, my first order that came out of um, out of Rajan Clothing, um, we used to pay about seven, 14 days and had 90 days credit on it because he covered it. So, um, yeah, so that's, so that's wow. how that started. So, but then when I went to the ladies where it was similar, a lot of the main suppliers were similar, but <clears throat> but there was a lot more. The, the ladies where I ended was just much more, it was just better, it was busier, it was bigger, it was more opportunity. So when I ended up flipping then, um, I still had competitors, you know, obviously, but um, it was slightly different. I got a name for myself, I was quite well established then. And, and you know, in the good old days of cash, when I used to carry anywhere between ten and 15,000 pounds on a suitcase on an Aer Lingus flight on a Sunday, um, you'd be surprised how many Indians and Pakistanis would take your money. So, so getting stock in the end wasn't a problem. Yeah, right. But it's, uh, it's impressive. How old were you then when they started? <coughs> was it Miss Money Penny? Miss Money Penny, yeah. So, yeah. So, limited name. My, my Technical Knockout Limited was my limited name. I never changed that. I just rebranded from Sonic to Miss Money Penny. Um, so, it all started in 92, 92. And actually, funny enough, would you believe, I opened on a good Friday and I got broken into Friday night. Great. Yeah. <clears throat> and it was funny because... Nike Air Max runners and, and there was a, a really big brand in the UK called British Knights Trainers and they were all similar kind of stuff but it was really really hot and I got my hands on like 10 or 12 boxes of that and um, uh, they knew I had them because we advertised it locally and um, yeah that's what it came for so so that that, that store I ended up buying that building um, and the one next door as I progressed but they got up through it was next door to a department store and they got up through the roof of the department store, jumped across and knocked down the wall with a kango hammer. And that's how they got into the store. So, and I had no, I had no money to fix it. 
like and I, um, you know which was interesting so that was another journey of a, a relationship I, I built up with a guy over the years that I got the yellow pages out which you did in those days and went like shit you know and uh, he came in the middle of the night and uh, he uh, he brought a bricky bricked it all back up and then steel plated the whole back wall wouldn't happen again uh, and he was at my wedding that guy since I got really friendly with him I gave him a lot of work over the years anything I did you know he made my gates at home and did all that kind of stuff you know like um, but uh, yeah it was interesting times because you kind of go I need to get it done but I've no money and you'll always find a way around you know and store two store two uh, I was probably in the city as well like I, I, I played around a lot in the city because I like you know I am um, uh, the, the leasehold came up next door there was an old guy in there called Ray, Raymond Heavey Electronics and he sold stereos and and that business was dying on its arse as well. And um, he he was my biggest thorn in my side because every Saturday he was the one to call the police and he was, you know, that kind of stuff. And I had the DJs in there. So so trying to buy his leasehold was interesting. But we got there in the end. And again, probably got fairly friendly with Raymond to a point in that I didn't realise, but he, he spent uh, some time in the States at the Olympics with Maggie's parents, which I only found out probably 10 years later. So it was good that I... Um, I didn't go too hard with him, but um, that was where the second one went. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, and then around around the city, then I did. Uh, I kind of came up with this MMP uh, concept, which is with Miss Money Penny, but I didn't brand. I didn't call it Miss Money Penny. I just called it MMP, and I used to buy a lot of lines uh, out of um, slightly because the, the the key to my business was fast fashion. But you needed the right style, the right color, and that was the key to it. If you didn't have it, you wouldn't sell it. Mm. But there was so much other op- opportunity to get stock. So MMP was kind of a bit of a thing that I did where I was still able to get really, really good margin and kind of, they were pop-ups at the time. They weren't call, they didn't call them pop-ups then. It was just opportunities, you know. So I did a lot of that around the city, um, you know. Um, so, yeah, which was interesting. So you had, um, and you said you, you obviously had a business partner at the start mm. that the exiting him pretty yeah. quickly. So. Yeah. You know, he'd had, he was older, he'd run a yeah. business, you're pretty, you're the young punk, you know. How did, how did that go, that conversation to say, hey, mate, time to uh, hang up the boots? No, not good, Bruce. <laughs> it wasn't good because I suppose when he split from his partner, it, it was obvious that he was the weak link all along in that relationship. And then he got burned a little bit when they did separate. And then when he saw me come in and the figures went from here to here, he was like, great, I'm onto a good thing here. Um and I said, well, no, you're not, you know. Yeah. But I suppose the reality was I didn't, I, I didn't set, set the exit strategy properly when I went in on, on the partnership, which is probably from my perspective was the, was the mistake. Um, so we probably saw a little bit more longevity in it than there was. Um, but look, you know, he'd done okay in the end. I mean, I, you know, I think he got a fair price, you know, and, 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 um, and I was lucky he was kind of, it was nearly from cash flow I did it, would you believe? I, I didn't have to kind of, it was maybe a small bit of borrowing. I think at that stage, I I think at that stage, I did increase my overdraft a little bit because, you know, the banks are just throwing money at me. So um, I kind of worked it through cash flow. Um, but you're still only in your 20s at this stage. When oh, you, fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah and so you, the banks are, it's great. That the, so the banks are talking to you. But banks will, banks, it's a bit like talent, isn't it? People don't ask you what age you are if you're doing, doing what you, well. yeah, yeah. The numbers were telling the story. So. Absolutely. And I wasn't them. Um, I wasn't producing uh, P&Ls or, or, or cash flow budgets or anything like that. In those days, you kind of like, unlike now where 
you've got net and you've got gross and you've got your PAYE and you've got your super and you've got your kind of, you're kind of, oh, I think you need four accounts now in business, right? You need to have your ins, your outs, your payables, your receivables. Um, I had one bank account and it was like, well, it would look big enough to me and I always knew how much I owed my main guys in the UK. I always knew how much I owed. I mean, it was very funny. I had one particular guy when things were going really, really well. He was a really uh, prominent businessman in London and uh, he lived next door to Chris Tarrant, which is a famous radio house in the UK. And he used to have me over to the house on a Sunday when I used to fly in because he was my first port of call on a Monday morning uh, down in uh, east east end of London. And um, he, uh, yeah, he he he, um, he called me one Christmas Eve, and I said, "Oh, that's really nice of him calling me on Christmas Eve." And um, I said, "Oh, what do I owe the pleasure?" You know, he said, "You owe me a lot of money. I'm just making sure you're still alive, and you'll be on a plane next week." I said, yes, happy Christmas to you too, and um, my flight's already booked. <laughs> so, you, you you know, you schooling, you didn't have a lot of business mentors, you didn't have a um, a lot of structured learnings, but you've you've learnt, obviously, the cash flow is key in all of this. But I didn't learn that, Bruce, though, even still. It was a lot later, you know, yeah. I didn't, yeah. Sell it, honestly, I'd say I, my biggest, um, uh, my biggest advantage, would you believe, the paradox in this, I know I might sound silly, but honestly, my biggest advantage was my lack of experience and naivety. Because I can tell you, I took some risks in my journey, and if I had really known what the downside was to some of them, I wouldn't have taken them. So, you know, you, you do, um, I, I think you do need a degree of um, uh, uh, balls, but you also kind of... Um, Ignorance sometimes doesn't help, doesn't, 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 doesn't hinder, let's say. Sorry. And always luck. Always uh, oh, a lot of luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, I think in life. No matter what anyone says. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, no, look, I had a biz org teacher in, in Crumlin, um, and he was a great fellow. You know, I, I love the bones of him, and I used to listen in his class, you know, because it was hard when I went to school. I mean, there was, you know, there was a lot of play acting going on, and not a lot of people would listen. So I used to always listen to him. So, yeah, I did have an interest in that. Um, and I don't know why that, where that really came from, to be honest, you know, but, but I did. Um, so, but no, no formal, no formal, just seat of the pants. But in all of that, obviously, it's all those things that you just said, luck and, you know, timing and whatever. But you've got to be doing something right. So what, what do you think you were really good at during that time? What do you think, was it identifying the gap? Was it your work ethic and your sales ability on the floor at the start? Or was it vision? What what was it? What were you good at? Oh, look, I think realizing where the gap in the market was 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 important. You know, it was really important. And I, and I think what we did well was I was a visionary, so I was a step ahead of everybody. I mean, I I, I created this marketing campaign where for every um, baseball jersey you bought, you, you you got a free baseball cap. Now I, I got a call from one of the retailers again, which was one of the. I mean, I was down here, and this guy was up here. Marathon Sports, he was called. And he called me and he said, well, how the fuck are you giving away a baseball cap? He said, you're buying them from where I'm buying them. Mm. And I said, I don't really know. But I said, you're ringing me. I said, so I'm obviously selling a few more uh, baseball caps than <laughs> you are. Somewhere. And I put the phone down, you know. So, um, look, I think I was, I was really good at that. So, um, yeah, looking at what, what everyone else was doing and then what, you know, what we could do a little bit different was key. Um, yeah, um, I think that... That was probably one of them. I mean, look, at that stage, when I went to the ladies where John, I didn't really necessarily walk on the floor, but every morning I got to the store, I did a walk and did that kind of piece, and that was really key. And I did, I mean, I, I, you know, I tried to, you know, like, 
I did try and bring the business forward a little bit in the electronic world because that was all really new. So kind of like, you know, I brought in a software system so I could look at reports and see what was selling. So, you know, I was probably one of few at the time to be able to be on a wholesaler's floor in London on a Monday morning with a report saying, I need medium and white in that top or in that dress or in that skirt. Mm. Um, so, um, and I kind of kept that going, um, you know, which was good because, yeah, it was a, yeah, it, it was so finite, you know, getting it wrong and getting it right in that fast fashion, that teenage space that, like, honestly, you could dump stuff and get burned pretty quickly, you mm. know, really quickly. And, 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 you know, like everyone, we were all chasing the same dime to a point. So you, you did have to be a little bit different, you know. So who did you have around you at that point who was on your team? Mm. Well, it was a pretty much a small team, but I did have family uh, work for me. So my brother worked for me and my sister worked for me. So she was probably my lieutenant. She would have been... Uh, and look, they both were. Um, I think she might have been with me from an earlier stage. So she came right for the journey. Um, and then my brother kind of dropped out and then came back. Um, so, yeah, one of my biggest regrets was probably not having the foresight to give them skin in the game. Mm. Big regret. And what were they doing within the business itself? Were they... Were they... Were they buying? Were they... No, I bought... Running the team? Yeah, run the team, run the stores, open the stores, locking the stores, making sure stock takes were done, doing rosters, making sure people were paid. I bought ninety nine point nine percent of the product, so if it, if it failed, it was on me. Yeah, um, right. you know, and I was buying ladies' wear, but like you read magazines, you look at the media, you look at what's going on, you you knew from suppliers what was selling, what wasn't, you know. But it was ladies' wear, so it was people used to say to me, "How do you buy women's wear?" So it's easy, really. But did you ever feel the need to try it on at all? <laughs> No, I just didn't. asking. No, I didn't quite, <laughs> didn't quite get down that road. I'm sure many did, but uh, no, it's whatever no. works. <laughs> and, and you said you had a, so you had the first business partner. Did you have another business partner later on, or no? No, you stayed. No, well, self-funded. You it, were the only shareholder. Yeah. Well, if you want to call later on, uh, I, I, I went into, I took a franchise model out of uh, France. Okay. Uh, and let's call them a partner, and that was an absolute fucking car crash cost me a lot of money and a lot of pain and heartache so, so a separate brand you're running so separate you're, brand yeah, yeah completely separate it's still a great business still running I, I always judge a great business if it's still going right you know there's a lot of business set up over the years and are not there it, was it a great business well if it's still a great business it would still be operating that that business still operates it's got you know i think i don't know maybe a thousand stores across the world um but they went the right partner for me and and um i only opened two stores i signed the rights for ireland and the uk i opened two stores as a trial and lost um yeah a lot of money mm. but so they were a business partner that's an interesting one so so why weren't they the right fit what what do you think were the key things that went wrong there so that was a that was a children's wear retail business, um, let's say kind of uh, mid section. Okay, so I was in the low end on the on the fashion business. Uh, this was a kind of a mid price point, and um, I just felt the market in, in the or in the UK was open. Um, so it would would have set probably a little bit above pumpkin patch type of thing, right? Oh yeah. Yep. So um, and they were the biggest in what they did, and I didn't go. I I went. I used to travel a lot. I used to go to every trade fair across Europe. I I, I at that stage later on I was dabbling in China. Um, so I came across them actually in Barcelona. I saw their a store in Barcelona and went, oh, I like that. You know, I came back and I brought Maggie back with me. And we looked at it. And I said, I actually really like this. And um, yeah, so I took a bit of a flyer on it. But um, yeah, it was it, w it wasn't a good experience. It was uh, they they basically released two ranges a year. 
Um, so if you didn't get the buying right, you were pretty much screwed. And I was used to buying on the phone, day to day. It was mm. just product, product, product. Um, and that was very different. And then when they start making uh, dogs dinner of the um, distribution, and I was getting stock that should have been in Belgium more. Azerbaijan one day we got a delivery that should have been uh, Beirut, would you believe? We got a delivery from uh, the franchisee store in Beirut. Uh, it was like, um, yeah, we're in trouble here. So so replenishment was a big problem for me. But I, I, I put my balls on the line at that stage because I opened two stores. Fidel's cost me like um, probably about a million bucks. Um, and um, yeah, and they didn't particularly trade well. So I was hemorrhaging money as well. Miss Moneypenny, obviously, in the background was kind of propping it up. But you know, you can't. Um, you, you, that that doesn't that's never a long term strategy. Mm. So yeah, I got burnt on that badly. So I got in and, and you got had out. no say about what. No, I went back. I sat down with the owners and as a husband and wife team. To be fair, they were really good. You know, they changed my structure around payment and stuff, and we tried to make it make a go of it. But but I knew at that stage I was screwed. And the double whammy with that was one of the locations was absolutely fantastic in a brand new shiny shop, shopping centre. Let's say the equivalent of Chadston shopping centre called the Dundrum Town Centre and that's still probably the, the main one in Ireland and in, it's in Dublin um, I c couldn't change it they wouldn't let me put Miss Moneypenny there because it was a precinct and it was all children's wear so that, that really killed me that took a lot out of me because it was like I know it probably went okay there um, and then the other location I opened was a kind of a small smaller regional town not far from where I lived at the time um, and that too wasn't great. So everything being relative, it was a bit of a disaster. So yeah, I, I learned a lot of lessons, um, and it, 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 it yeah it cost me. Mm. Mm. So how many at the time? How many Miss Bunny Penny stores did you have, or how how sort of large did the business grow to then? Yeah, I probably at that stage I would have had uh, probably seven or eight, nine yeah. maybe something like that. Um, um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Probably, I'm trying to think what year I started the orchestra piece. From when I started it until I opened it and closed it, it was a very probably short period of time would have been only been two years maybe because you know, you know like anything in life you, you realize when you do something right pretty much very quickly and you realize very quickly if you do something wrong mm. that's whether you're horror staff or whether you, you generally know so yeah so it was a short space of time but at that stage i'd um i probably had more properties than i had shops groups in the end i kind of went down a road where um uh, i saw that it was savvy to invest in property um, and ultimately, that was where I was going to, you know. So, even when I finished up, I had more, I had more houses than I had shops. I probably had more commercial properties than I had shops as well. So, yeah. so um, yeah. But but auction was good because it was a learning. And in business, you, you you want learnings, right? And I can tell you, it put hairs on my chest. Yeah. Well, you, you I guess you're operating different businesses. You got your property business over here. You've got your. Yeah, women's retail, and then you've got your yeah, business and the property and business I kind of ran, let's say, with Maggie, and and and, and she got involved in the auction business because it was kind of her flavour. She so, uh, we we did kind of dance for a while, in that together, where we didn't do. She was never involved in Miss Money Penny, and we had three kids, and Maggie was, um, you know, she was she was involved in the singing industry at the early stages, and um, so kind of she was pretty full on. But um, yeah, she was involved in auction a little bit. Um, but yeah, I had a few balls bouncing at that stage, um, and uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't like to talk about it actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't spoken about it in a while. It's been a while since I've told that story. But um, but still, look, the business is still going. It's still retails. It's still franchises. Yep. Maybe maybe they're doing something right. Yeah. So what what happened? What was the? Where did it all go wrong? Where the all go wrong moment probably. Uh, 
didn't all go wrong, but it took a, a windy road, let's say, which you know could have not gone down that path. I think the um, the auction thing was it was it was a bit of a kicker. Um, my 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 financial advice and structure probably wasn't as the way it should have been. Um, the the look, there's no doubt that the, the financial crisis did take some hold. I did see sales drop. Mm. Things started to get tight. Um, I had um, I'd invested quite heavily in property at that stage, but I didn't do it as smart as I should have in hindsight. Um, I didn't have different companies. I only had one company all throughout. The, so the one of, company for the properties and the business. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. So how Bruce, how I set up. So so the property piece was probably a little little bit interesting in some sense. I was very lucky that the building where I first started came up for sale. So not long after, I probably you know scraped a twenty grand loan with a bank guarantee. I bought a, a building in the middle of Brook Street for a million dollars, right? A million pounds, which is a lot of money. That wasn't an issue, um, but um, I suppose. The, the 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 Irish government introduced this, and a lot of people know remember this. But they introduced a tax system, and it was just called Section Twenty Three, and it was an income tax uh, basically uh, um, uh, facility. And uh, and because I when I bought the building, I bought it in my own name. And then when I grew and I bought my warehouse, I bought it in my own name. So I had fucking massive income tax problems. So uh, the accountant said to me, "Oh, the government are releasing this scheme called a Section Twenty Three allowance." And he said, we can buy property and we can offset your income tax. And I said, great, sounds like a plan. So I bought one, then I bought another one, then I bought another one, then I bought another one, and then, you know, kept going, right? Um, so I, I suppose, you know, uh, to any up-and-coming business or franchisor out there now, I'd say, you know, like it's so important to get your exit strategy fucking at the beginning, mm. you know, and, and I didn't. And it's also really important to understand that you won't know all the answers. And as a CEO, you get some of the best CEOs in the world. They're not going to know all the answers. I don't care what anyone will tell you. So you need to make sure you've got the right people around you giving you the right advice. And, and I and I didn't have that. And you know, um, would you have listened? Oh, I think so because I knew I was out of my out of my yep. depth to a point because I wasn't I wasn't told the what if and I wasn't told if this happens and that happens, you could be in trouble here. So I probably heavily invested in an area that I, I didn't need to. I probably should have done something else. You know. Um, you know, I just diversified a little bit, basically. You know, I probably had all my, you know, eggs in one basket. So, yeah, so that's pretty much, in a short synopsis, John, is mm. say where it went wrong because, you know, I lost a lot. I didn't lose everything when I came to Australia. I still had primarily a bit of chunky stuff. Like, I still owned the building in the city, although I had some terrible tenants, and that's another podcast in a sense <laughs> um, because when things hit the, hit the wall, like, you know, like getting rent from tenants, and I had a really big UK mob, actually, at the time, and they they screwed me over big time. I actually had L'Occitane as a tenant in that building for a while, which were good, but they moved to a bigger one. Um, so I I am, um, yeah. So it wasn't all doom and gloom um, until until after I got to Australia, until the banks them they did pull the plug eventually. Yeah. I, I I'm I'm eleven twelve years coming up in Australia. I went home after two, to a sporting event actually back with my son. And I haven't been home since nine years. But when I went back home, um, I sat with the banks. We had a chat. We said, okay, this is where we're at. You know, rising tide raises all boats. Things were picking up a little bit. Keep paying off the mortgages. I'll be back to where I need to be. And they agreed. Um, big chunk of my salary from wire and stuff was going there. We were... And then they pulled the plug. Literally <laughs> literally pulled the carpet. And, and, and they could because the nature of my loans were set up that way, right? Mm. So, which, was, again, was another thing. You know, you, the they small, could, the small they print... They probably need to. Oh, uh, probably not. Because w- when I saw the building, I read about the building being sold in the paper. 
a few, probably two years after, a year and a half after. And when I saw what it went for, it was a bit of a... So where the building was, I had like, let's call it more because it's Ireland's only department store called Arnott's. And Arnott's was here and they had a lane for the deliveries and there was Zerup Shoes and then I owned the next two buildings. So I was in their way from a development like uh, the, the family were next door and probably about another four buildings. So I got offered a lot of money for that. Um, at a time when things were absolutely flying and I was killing it and I thought it was fucking the bee's knees. Don't get me wrong, I was quite humble. I, I spoke to a lot of people about that to say, should I hold, should I sit, should I sell? And the consensus was hold a bit longer because you'll probably get more. Um, and uh, that was a massive mistake. So this is, so um, 2007, 2008, 2009, around this period, is that when... The earnest conversation was probably two thousand and probably start two thousand and seven, I think. Yeah. Um, and I had a well-known Dublin firm acting for me on that, which the guys are good. I still contact one or two of them. Um, and, uh, but yeah, you just kind of think, you know, is it worth more? Will I get more? You know, is this development going to happen? I'm right in the foreign line. They, they need my building, you know. Yep. And like at the time, I, I got offered like north of four million pounds, which fucking could have made a massive difference in my family's life. Yeah, look, look, cash flow wise, I was good. I never had any worries about money. We paid our bills. We had some, you know, pro oh, everything was good. So I didn't really, I wasn't hungry. I wasn't hungry to put food on the table. So I didn't feel I needed money. And I kept saying, I'll leave it for the kids. You know, it'll grow. It'll be worth more. And if I have to sell it eventually, I might get an extra meal, right? That was kind of, so I kind of said, fuck it. You know, I'm still trading. Keep going. But you do need someone on your shoulder, I think. And that's where I, there's one or two clients I've got now where I, that are going well, where I do say, hey, the fucking, the, the carnival ride does stop sometimes. Mm. And you do need to understand that. Thank you, Wins. That can happen to you too. Uh, so you kind of probably, you know, but yeah, probably just, I don't know. It, it was one of those, uh, that's probably not necessarily, it's my, it had the biggest effect on my, in my life, but it was my biggest regret. Because I kind of felt I made a good decision It was based on, you know, a couple of different things, you know, that I, I looked at it hard, right? Um, yep. So I don't think it was my biggest mistake, but it hit me probably more than anything, you know. <laughs> and so you've come to Australia, so what what drove the change to move to Australia and, yeah. and land at Maya? Well, that was an interesting one because we, um, you, you kind of, when you're working for, your, for yourself for so long, you become defined, you know, my business defined me. So when it all went a little bit fucking pear-shaped and, um, you know, I stopped retailing, but I had the properties, I was getting good rent, I kind of said, I'll take a year out because I was wounded. I was pretty much wounded. I wanted to understand what I was going to do next. So luckily I was in a financial position that I could do that. But um, And I, I, I dicked around with a mate of mine doing a little bit. He was in the uh, optical business. Um, but I, I, I um, we thought long and hard then about coming to Australia. I'd been coming to Australia before that for a good few years. I'd come here twice, three times a year on golf. I, I used to come here for two weeks at a time. Um, Your brother was already My brother was here, here. exactly, yeah. And Maggie's brother was in Perth and, and the sister was in Brisbane, which they still are. They're all still in Australia. So I was coming here quite regular. So we kind of like came up with that idea. And then I kind of got cold feet because I didn't know what I wanted to do still. And then I wasn't sure whether things were going to pick up in Ireland because things were so bad. I mean, look, look, you guys honestly have no clue as to how the GFC hit a small country like Ireland. There's more people in Melbourne than there is in the whole of Ireland. It is a small town. When you're in business, you'd be surprised. Two or three of the top banks, 
you know, and I was, you know, I knew quite a lot of people and stuff. So it was hard for a lot of people. I had one or two friends commit suicide. Mm. Um, it, it, it was tough. So how long that was going to last was a real question. And then that whole fresh start was kind of, plus I was fucking embarrassed, you know, you kind of go like, really, am I going to hang around? What do I do? All that kind of stuff. So anyway, long story short, um, we, uh, we came over for six months, I think, or four months or five months. And then um, we came back and said, yeah, maybe we'll give it a go. I, um, but then I bottled it again, came back again, did a shorter time, and then, um, yeah, then we, we decided to come. So very, very strange, mate. I, I, I yeah, got talking to someone, um, and I, when I got back to order the second time, I had a job offer from Moira within about a week in a kind of contract. And I think that was probably the 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 thing that maybe just go hey will we do this you know will, will we take the will we take the jump my eldest Killian was was eleven so we kind of went if we don't do this now you, you just bringing dragging kids yeah. all over John knows that he's had his stories there I'm sure which we'll do another podcast on but uh, so I kind of felt we've got to do this now and then you know you you feel if you jump if you if you think about it too much you'll go no because I, I bottled it the first time um yeah so look you know um that was the decision um. And then my marriage journey started, my first real job, which was mm. fucking it was interesting. That was interesting, you know. Um, because, you know, people don't realise, you come from a small place, and we lived in this place called Nace outside of Dublin. It was 25 k's. So we had a you know, nice big house, and we loved the community, very small community, and um, great friends, great family. And then you get on a plane, you come here, and you go, oh, shit, you know. Um, and we went mm. to Noosa, of all places, when we first came. Because Noosa was regional those times, so the, the 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 visa with Moira was regional, right? So, uh, now how how about that? There's a loophole that the, the the Australian government closed pretty quickly, but Noosa. So I was in, I moved in the August, and Maggie and the kids came over in November. So we lived in Nooseville for about a year and a half, I think. Um, my, my 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 sister-in-law was good. She was in Prisian Beach, which was only like five k's mm. down the road. Great spot. She she had a business there, yeah. So mm. um, so that was good. So that made it a little bit easier, but um. Yeah, it was a massive change for the family. It was it started a, a new journey, you know, uh, which was good, but like, but tough, tough. And coming from Ireland, did you sort of know what that big shiny thing was in the sky? That big no. thing that sort of <laughs> look. Put I'll, out be on, and light? I'll be honest. I'd been to Perth because Maggie's brother was in Perth. We'd, we'd, you know, I'd walked around golf courses there. I'd, I knew, but I think the intensity of that heat and when we went you know i got to it was like yeah it was a big change oh yeah it <laughs> yeah it was a big change it was just that humidity initially to be honest you yeah. know um and knowing that you weren't jumping on a plane and going home mm. was, was interesting so so that lifestyle probably wouldn't have suited my family at the time people say to me now they look at me and I, honestly if i got a penny for every australian that says it to me now you fucking mad you left noosa <laughs> um, but like it wasn't right for us at the time right you know yeah. melbourne is where we wanted to be mm. My wife told me that for the two years I was in Queensland, two or whatever. I don't know how long I was in Queensland, maybe a bit longer, uh, three years probably. Um, yeah, she reminded me that we came to Australia to be in Victoria and pretty much where we did end up, because we were familiar with Red Hill, we were familiar with the peninsula. My brother lives mm. in Sandringham, so so that's where I had to get her um, to be beside the water. So, yeah. And then you went from uh, Maya to Jewelry, large. Yeah. So the, well, look, the, the, the more thing like. Um, that, that was a really interesting journey itself in Moira, but 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 it ended and, and I ended it because I, I kind of I wanted to get back to Melbourne and they had me kind of travelling around a lot and oh, my family weren't enjoying that so um, I had no experience in jewellery and no, no idea to be honest Bruce um, and I, I still don't um, but they, they were the fourth largest jewellery retailer in the world 
um, a New Zealand-based family, and um, and it was a role that got got me back to Victoria, um, and the head office was in Port Melbourne. So that's probably why I chose that role initially, to be honest. But plus, to, to be, to, the main thing was probably the owners and founders are very entrepreneurial, and um, I was offered a profit share in that business from day one. So I liked how they structured it, um, and that was predominantly. So I was ticking two boxes there. It was kind of what I wanted in a role, but also got Maggie and the kids back to Victoria. So yeah, so that was um, that was a five year journey, I think, with, with with that business, which taught me a lot. You know, like um, very 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 hard working family, good at what they do, best in the business by a long way. Um, and it credited them that it's a family business, like because it, it's not easy. We all know that family businesses at that scale, they have five hundred stores, five hundred and fifty stores. I think when I joined, mm, it's big. so it's a big, it's a big chain. And were you doing property or a, a broader retail? Yeah, role? it was interesting because my role, um, I ended up working with a guy that John and Vaughn worked with. Would you believe um, a guy called Andrew Minogue? Um, so my role was kind of it was a senior role and. He actually couldn't sign off on the property until I signed off on it. So the way the business was structured, unless the P&L made sense, the property didn't go ahead. And I was the only one that could sign off on the P&L. So he had to wait for me to say, yeah. So so I'd, I, I worked closely with Andrew for those few years. Andrew left, I think, probably after two years, maybe. Um, so I worked closely with Andrew. So that's where I kind of got that property exposure. But I, I probably got to know the landscape and the environment through Moira because I was in, you know, all the Moira stores and I travelled a bit. So, um, so it gave me a good grounding. Like whatever Moira did for me, albeit I didn't necessarily, you know, enjoy the the red tape and the structure of that business. Uh, it did give me good grounding, you know. Um, but that that role was a. Uh from what I remember when we were first talking, that you you were the general, the CEO of of those shops, effectively. Yeah, you ran pretty it, much. You did everything. Yeah, pretty you much. Were in, you hired, you forward, you, yeah, yeah. You, you signed off, you wrote off, you had P&L. It's full, full P&L accountability, uh, which, to be honest, there's not a lot of retailers actually give out that kind of structure, you know, like, yeah, but it worked for them, you know, like, but so so my EBITDA kind of bonus was all based on, on, on kind of like, you know, um, different percentage rates and stuff. So so you're able to make the hard decisions, but then you live by them, right? You know, so if you wanted to drive margin, you could really drive margin. So mm. all that kind of stuff. But so you were, in a sense, running your own business, mm. right? Um, and, and, and David Norman was great about it. I probably shouldn't have mentioned his name, but but, but they were good about it because he would, he'd back you. You know, you make a decision, mm. rightly or wrongly, they'd back you, that family. Um, so it was good. That's it very was, good. Yeah. So you went from running your own business to a large corporate to a big family business, and then... Ended up finding these other two blokes that you wanted to uh, join the dark side and actually help other retailers and franchisors. So how did that yeah. how did that play out for you? Serendipity, some might say. Um, I, I probably met John through local community soccer. Um, I think that's where I first met John, and um, yeah, it would probably it started to, and it was a stop start because John went to the states probably very shortly after our relationship started. Let's say. Mm. Um, and um, oh, I think we had we had a very minimal communication throughout the time John was in in LA, um, you know, a couple of texts here maybe and so maybe an email, you know, and um, we well, had. A, we, I was the president of the soccer club, and I caught up with Keith, and I'm pretty sure he walked away going, "This guy has no fucking idea what he's doing." <laughs> 
Which you is absolutely right. Yeah, and, and then, then he handed he, me the reins. Yeah, and then I was the president. So. <laughs> we did know what he was yeah. doing there. Exactly. Yeah, I think he did. He saw me coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But some of those meetings, I'll never forget some of those meetings in John's house. Bloody hell. Like, I've been at more, uh, like, they were more vicious than some board meetings I've been at. And I've been at a lot of executive meetings with Moira and with um, JPL where, you know, some people walk out in tears. But some of our uh, committee meetings, because uh, me and John were trying to turn the wheel in the soccer club in those days and really try and professionalise it, to be honest. We were really trying to give the kids that wanted to play a real window and opportunity to kind of play. And for a community club, a lot of people were pushed against that. So, yeah, so they were interesting times. But, um, yeah, so then when John got back, we had a coffee, basically. I think it was, you know, he said, what are you up to? So, you know, I'm still doing the same thing. And he said, he enjoying it. John's very... Um, he he uh, he he is away with questions, and he is away with um, uh, getting into your darkest um, secrets. So so yeah, so we 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 had numerous conversations, we had numerous conversations, and look at that time to be honest, Bruce, like five years, I was kind of um, I was over that role, you know, I was over that role. So and I probably would have done something for myself. The chances are. Uh, you know, you need a comfort blanket, don't you, to do that? Um, I probably didn't jump earlier because of that. Uh, I was still very conscious of kind of, you know, uh, you know what I put my family through before. So you kind of go, you got to keep it steady, Eddie, right? You got to be the main bread earner. You got to do the right thing and make sure the kids get through college and all that. So, so that probably stopped me actually retelling at an earlier stage that whole concept of fuck. What if you know things go bad again? Which again, I, I you know I always say to some of my clients, it's it's you know you, you shouldn't think like that because you do make mistakes, you will make mistakes, but you can bounce back from them, you know, mm. and it's how you do that is is all the more important. So um so yeah, we we it, it was interesting. We it was probably done pretty quickly, but I came in a different guys. I mean, I came in with nobody really knowing a lot about me. Um, I think it's fair to say, and you know, like John's not one for titles and, and neither am I, but we kind of had to put a title on the role. So it was kind of like, well, fucking let's go COO or something like that, you know, this fancy shit name or whatever. So so we went in with that role, but um, I obviously needed a little bit of time to, to try and get it, my feet under the table and understand the business. Um, but that wasn't going to happen, Bruce, because I started on the 5th of February and the 17th of March, the whole world fit caved in yeah. <laughs> with COVID. So, so it's been an interesting um, journey. But that's, but, that's but I will say it was always, um, you know, I, I certainly understood and I know Bourne did, understood that we needed to get someone to come in and, and be a genuine CEO of our business. And, and what impressed me with Keith so much is um, he, he was a great generalist. He'd done it. And... It, and he wasn't just a property person, and that's what we we needed someone who had the ability to take it to the next step. So um, the uh, the <laughs> we went to it was fe early February. You started, and then we had a conference, and we were a bit worried about okay that the guys were going to think who's this this uh, donkey from Ireland that that was just started, and within about a half an hour he had everyone's respect in the room. It, it was, and then everyone shut up, shut up and listened to what he said, and he'd only been there for five minutes, and that's the mark of the man. So um, we certainly, I certainly knew at that point we'd made the right decision. And then I never saw him for two years. <laughs> <laughs> we got locked in our houses. Except for Zoom calls, yeah. Yeah, exactly, mm. exactly. So you've uh, you've navigated your way through the GFC, navigated your way in a different mm. business through COVID, and so what sort of advice have you got for business owners and um, going through these challenges and then coming out the other side? Yeah, look, I think oh, there really is a lot you can take. I think you do need to, you've got to expect the unexpected, okay? 
that's a big one. I think you do need to um, you do need to be very very mindful of your profitability uh, in your business and what that's producing. So whether you're you're looking at that weekly or monthly, I think the financial side of the business, let's call it, you know, the overall picture, it is so important. If if you if you um, if you don't have someone in house, make sure you've got a really good accountant that you work closely with. And um, so expect the unexpected from that perspective, and you know. You know, squirrel away five percent of your, your your monthly profits if you can, and don't let your partner see it. Um, <laughs> that's a that's a, that's a big one. Um, we're on to our fourth squirrel, squirrel, squirrel account in our business now. Secret squirrel, I've got squirrel. Keep, yeah. So so I think that's really important, Bruce. But I think um, ultimately, I suppose it, it's um, know your customer for me. You know, know your customer because even in the bad times, you know, you, you can change, you can duck, you can dive, you can weave. And um, if you ultimately know what your customer needs and, and how you can help them. You've always got a chance, you know. You'll always have a chance, and I think um, it's hard to differentiate yourself now in business because there's so many people doing similar things to what you do. But that's not the reason not to do it. If you've got passion, you know, if if you feel you've got good people around you, and I think with, with BDC that's where we're lucky because you know we're relatively. You know, I've got the CEO title, but we were a flat organisation to a, to a point. I've got really, really, really experienced guys around me from the property side that could teach me a thing or two. Um, but it's like herding cats at times. Um, but like you know, having good people around you is paramount to any business success mm. at any level. Um, and 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 gladfully, oh, we've got some good people around us. And 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 finally, I'll probably say to to get out of bed every day, you want to be able to go to work and have a smile on your face with the people you work with and 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 your customers if you can, because I think that's what what will keep you engaged and keep you on point. Um, you know. And just one thing that you touched on before about your structure. Um, making sure your structure's right. Because I know we've sat in, and Bruce, you're the same, even more so, that we've sat in a room with people that are starting out new businesses or whatever, and they've got everything in their, in their, their name and their, all their assets and everything, and they're not structured the right way. That's a very big, very big thing. I think it's, um, most entrepreneurs have a pretty high appetite for risk. Um, and so it's balancing that appetite, whether it be the right people around you to help you manage that, or just a sense of your squirrel account and having to manage that risk because it, all things in, if all your chips are there, it can go horribly wrong and you've got to be prepared for that. So yep. Um, yep. just making sure that you're balancing it out. Yeah. I think we're, uh, we're nearly done. Oh, okay. Thank cool. you. But uh, so this was Tell Us Your Effing Story, um, franchising story. You're now working with franchisors. So thank you very much, Keith. Thanks for sharing your story with us today. No, thanks um, for really me. enjoyable. Thanks, thanks Keith. Thanks, guys. Good on you.